You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I wish all of you mothers out there a most blessed Mother's Day. The rest of you, I hope, have a decent time too. <laughs> I wish you all a day of celebration and joy and rest. Our mothers, our fathers too, but they're not in the spotlight today, are the greatest gifts that God gives to us, at least in terms of the office they hold. They give us all that we have and raise us, and for these things they are as the masks and hands of God, and they deserve full honor, full respect. As the Catechism teaches us, that's true even if personally they're a little weird. In honoring mothers, we behold also a deeper mystery, and as coincidence would in fact have it, that mystery is in part alluded to by our Lord in the gospel message today. Jesus is instructing his disciples on the night in which he's going to be betrayed, the next day he'll be crucified upon the cross, and he is instructing his disciples in regard to his coming death and resurrection. He describes this by the phrase, a little while, which you heard several dozen times recorded. That little while you will not see me, and a little while you will see me again, refers to his death and his resurrection. That little while in which you will not see me, you will be sorrowful, you will lament, the world will rejoice, and indeed, it did, as both Jew and Gentile gathered around the cross, mocking him, the world rejoiced to see him tortured, to see him put to death. The disciples sorrowed and lamented. But, our Lord says, your sorrow will be turned to joy. And indeed it was three days later. What incredible and unspeakable joy the resurrection of our Lord Jesus gives. Here is a joy that no sorrow can touch. It is a joy that runs deeper in us so that we could endure all sadness and still rejoice and be joyful that Jesus is risen. All sadness, all sorrow, all lamenting will come to an end. It has a time limit. Our future in Christ Jesus it's the future of resurrected saints of God. Eternal life and all of its wonders stretched out before us. And that is to come. We need to reflect and rejoice on, in that. Our Lord has a teaching about this sorrow turning into joy. And what he says here is actually so deep John takes it in a number of different complex directions in his gospel. I'm not going to lead you along down that path today. I'm rather going to grasp hold of the most fundamental truth that Jesus communicates. He says, when the woman gives birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. As terrible and anguishing and agonizing 
it is to give birth. All of it is instantaneously eclipsed when that little baby was laid into your arms for the first time, when that little baby was taken out of the car seat in your living room and you said, I don't think he's leaving. (laughs) And I know that the joy eclipsed the sorrow because many of you have had more than one. (laughs) Many more than one, in fact. God be praised for that. Just as the woman sorrows and a greater joy eclipses her sorrow, so also this becomes the lens through which the disciples must see the cross. A deep sorrow indeed in the passion and death of Jesus, but an even greater joy. A joy recognized that by this sorrowful death, he has in fact cleansed you of each and every spot and stain. He has cleansed the whole world by the shedding of his holy divine blood. Your sins are forgiven. You are reconciled to God. And that joy of forgiveness, life, and salvation bursts forth with the sunrise as the true sun and true light of the world dawns upon us on Easter morn. Joy that eclipses all sorrow. And that's really the title of this homily. Your sorrow will turn to joy. There are two other ways in which the Lord and his apostle Paul draw our attention to the idea of laboring and birth pains being replaced by joy and new birth. And they are essential for us to keep in mind. Jesus, when asked how long until the close of this age responds by saying, you will see many false messiahs come forth. You will hear rumors of, uh, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. There will be famines. There will be earthquakes. And then our Lord speaks these most beautiful and poignant words. These are but the beginning of birth pains. He goes on to describe other birth pains, birth pains that we ourselves are experiencing even now, a great falling away from the faith, great lawlessness spread throughout the world, and the hearts of many growing cold. But the light that Christ gives to us in the darkness is that we know that these pains aren't accidental, they're not meaningless, They are all leading somewhere and going somewhere, and that is to a new birth. The dawning of a new creation in which there is no sin, no sorrow, no death. These birth pangs that we presently experience now will be so profoundly eclipsed by what is to come, we will forget all about these sufferings. They aren't even worthy to be compared to that glory which he will reveal. The Apostle Paul picks up on this same theme and idea in Romans chapter 8. Let me read to you what he says. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth up to the very present. 
And not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Jesus says, I am making all things new. And shockingly, that includes death itself. The greatest power of evil this world knows. By his own death on the cross, he destroys death. He doesn't merely endure death. He doesn't merely render death a neutral or temporal negative thing that we have to endure. No, he destroys death in such a profound way, he absolutely reverses it. So that death becomes the very gateway to life. So that the tomb, in fact, becomes the womb. This is why Jesus is buried in a virgin tomb, a tomb that had never been used before. And it's why the scriptures say that he is the first born from the dead. Death has become life. The tomb has become the womb. God's own child, I gladly say it, I am baptized into Christ. We all sang those words together. St. Paul says that in holy baptism, you were joined with Christ so intimately that you were buried with him. Buried with him in that tomb become a womb. So that just as he is the firstborn from the dead, we too will follow him and be born from the dead. Immortal, everlasting siblings with our Lord Jesus Christ and the glory of the Father. Sorrow, my friends, will give way to joy. Joy so profound we won't even remember these days of suffering. Indeed, there's kind of a parallel in one of our earthly expressions. We say, these are the good old days. You look back and say, that was wonderful. And we're going to look back and say the same. The suffering and affliction and glory for Christ. I wish I could have done more. It was wonderful. And look what the result is now. As we remember our mothers today, we remember the actual motherly gift of giving birth. We see then a template for the crucifixion of Jesus and that sorrow replaced by resurrection and joy. We see also a template of the whole cosmos wrapped now in the sufferings of labor and giving birth soon to replaced by the joy of the new heavens and the new earth and the new sons and daughters of God that are to be born. With these high and lofty things in mind, though, I think I should spend a couple moments. It would be fitting to speak very concretely about the things we see going on in the world in regard to motherhood. You might recall that one of the most elevated judges in our land was recently asked, what is a woman? and no answer could be given by her. If the most elevated among us does not know what a woman is, 
then we shouldn't expect that it is known what a mother is either. And indeed, we saw this very thing when our governor was speaking at a rally in favor of the murder of unborn children, and he accidentally slipped and spoke the truth. Men can't become pregnant, he said. And at that little slip of the tongue in which he accidentally spoke the truth, he was almost devoured by his pets. Now, if this is the wisdom of the darkened world, and these are the wise rulers among us, for the love of God, come over to the family of God. And if you're here for the love of God, stay in the family of God and keep yourself unspotted and unstained from this foolishness and darkness. When we go all the way back to Genesis, we see the beauty of our God and of his creation. He makes man in his image. Male and female, he makes them. He makes no mistakes. He doesn't put males in females' bodies or females in males' body. Male and female, he makes them. What you have is what you are. Also, we should say that he doesn't make sinners. He doesn't make thieves. He makes men and women. He doesn't make adulterers. He makes men and women. In the same way, he doesn't make homosexuals. He makes men and women. If a man is attracted to many women who are not his wife, that is disordered. If a man is attracted to the opposite or to the same sex, that is likewise disordered. But let's be clear. God makes male and female. And by the blood of his Son, he cleanses us from all of our sins. And by the power of his Spirit, he is even now restoring us and restoring his creation to uprightness and righteousness. He makes the female for the male. He does not make male for male or female for female, but the female for the male. And upon giving the first man, this gift of woman, this man who in Hebrew is called Ish, the man says this is Ish, ah, because of her glory and beauty. Woman is the glory of man. One thing we must see as man and woman come together in one flesh is in this way and only this way does God give the gift of life. Does God set forward new souls who will live for all eternity only through the union of man and woman, the two becoming one flesh. No other way. As Adam and Eve were led into sin, we must pay attention to this as well. Eve was deceived. She listened not to God. She listened not to her husband. She listened to the serpent, as the text of Genesis plainly tells. For Adam, it was different. Adam listened to the woman. He was instead to listen to God. Again, the text of Genesis spells this out very plainly. Nowhere in the scriptures is it said that the husband should submit to the wife or be obedient to her. 
Now indeed, the husband should listen to his wife. To do otherwise would be dangerous <laughs> and evil. But there's a great difference between listening and indeed doing what has been said versus being obedient and submissive too. Everywhere in the scriptures, it is not given for the man to be obedient and submissive to his wife, but for the wife to be obedient and submissive to her husband. Why? The husband is her head, and the husband's head is Christ. Husbands, if you don't obey Christ and obey your wives instead, you are reenacting the sin in Genesis. And the result of that is that your wife is going to hate you and despise you, and she won't even know why, and you won't either. I was doing everything she said. The disordering is that she is not your God. Christ is your God. As Adam and Eve fell into sin, they fell in these different ways. They would have been lost forever and all of us with them. But God made a statement to the serpent in the presence of the man and the woman. He said, the seed of the woman will crush your head. The seed of the woman. And with those words, Satan became absolutely terrified. Imagine this all-powerful God of this world, or at least all-powerful in his own mind, proud, arrogant, haughty. And God says, you know what? You will tremble before a pregnant woman. The sight of a pregnant woman will fill you with dread because from a pregnant woman, from a newborn baby will come your demise. The seed of the woman will crush your head. Crawl on your belly in fear. And indeed, that very thing happened with the birth of our Lord Jesus, the crushing of the serpent's head. But you know what? The serpent is a sore loser. And this is why he despises pregnant women. This is why he despises little children. This is why all throughout the history of the world, from the Egyptians trying to kill Moses and Herod trying to kill Jesus and the almost ubiquity of abortion in this fallen end times world, and the religious fervor with which the supporters of, of, of abortion continue to support it. Now I hope you can see the spiritual reality behind it. It is indeed all the darkness of the evil one. So the scripture sets before us two very different women, two very different mothers. One is a haughty and arrogant harlot she crowns herself and robes herself as if she were good. She aborts her children and those she lets live, she lets do whatever they want. She's drunk off the blood of the saints. She's drunk with her own power and authority. Sound familiar? The other woman is virgin and holy and pure. She gives birth to her children and baptizes them that they might have birth unto eternal life. She raises her children in the fear and order of the Lord. Within her is water that will wash away the foulest of sins. Within her is blood shed that can be drank that cleanses us to the depths of our very being. There are only these two women and only these two mothers. You have one or you have the other. And to those who have the harlot as their mother, this is our plea. 
Not one of judgment, but one of welcome. Come, fellow sinners, and be joined with us into the family of God. Come and be washed by water and the Spirit that will wash you thoroughly so that not a spot or wrinkle will remain. Come and drink from us the cup in which there is life and everlasting life and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. Come before it is too late. We must extol earthly mothers because they in themselves reveal these things to us. They reveal who the true and wonderful woman is. And that's true even if our earthly mothers have utterly failed us, even if they have rather in their own persons been more like the evil harlot woman. Nonetheless, by their very weaknesses, they point us to the perfections of the Holy Christian Church, the Holy Virgin Mother and Bride of our Lord Jesus Christ. Under this mother's robes, we find forgiveness, life, and salvation. Under this mother's robes, all sorrows are eventually turned to joy. Blessed Mother's Day to you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Please rise and let us confess the Nicene Creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, 